Welcome back to There Are Three of Me. I'm Gabrielle Lawson, Philippe de la Matroc, and Ina Corio. And those are my pen names. Um, I'm so glad to be back tonight. I had to do my budget for a couple of hours because I hadn't done it for for three weeks. <laughs> so it took a long time, but I did it. And thankfully, that did not uh, kick me in the rear end. Everything's fine now. The bills are paid or set up to be paid. Everything's good. All right. So I can now relax and work on this podcast so we can read chapter 21 of Philippe de Lamatroc's Alien Us, Star Trek Enterprise story. All right, let's get into it. Star Trek Enterprise Alien Us by Philippe de Lamatroc, chapter 21. One has survived, Inesh exclaimed as he removed the camera from the female's uterus. The miscarriage of the second fetus had also expelled the small remote camera that had left in her. It was surely now trampled in the fields alone with the fetal tissue. How does it look? Vesta asked. He leaned over Inesh's shoulder to see the still images as the latter pulled them up on the monitor. Inesh shook his head. It's difficult to say. What can we base it on? We've never done this with this species before. Vesta moved to another monitor across the room. What about the other one, the one she lost? What do we have from it before it was expelled? Anish crossed over to join him and pulled up the archive. He panned back through the images from the day before, then zoomed in on the most promising view of the expelled fetus. Even without knowing what was normal for the species, he could see this one was definitely abnormal. Its head was distorted. There were no eyes. Its feet and arms were twisted and bent. The abnormality could be why it hadn't survived. The camera couldn't see into its heart or other vital organs. There could have been problems with the lungs or heart or even the brain. She had heard and listened to enough. One had survived, which meant she was still pregnant, and having understood that, Hoshi had found it hard to stay in her state of denial. She finally shared her fears. Malcolm understood them. While they could have used his semen to impregnate her, they might also have used their own in the hopes of making some kind of hybrid. She had even glimpsed an image on the far side of the lab, a mutation, a monster in her mind. Was it the one that had survived? Malcolm had tried to reassure her, reminding her of, though he didn't even want to remember it, the semen they'd collected from him. Even if it was a normal baby, I didn't get to choose to be pregnant, she argued. Besides, what life would a child have here? It would be treated like you in a lab or like me in a field, or it would be on exhibit in some form of secret zoo. It would be better for all of us if I miscarried. There's no life for any of us here. She was right. Malcolm couldn't come up with any scenario that would be good for a baby on this planet. Unfortunately, Hoshi had a lot of fertile years ahead of her, so Radagast and his pal were sure to keep trying. Was it inevitable? Work as hard as you can, then, Malcolm told her. Wear your body out. Make it hard for the fetus to survive. I don't know any surefire way to miscarry. Neither do I, he admitted. We'll just have to do what we can. Overwork yourself. Try not to eat right. Sleep on your stomach. Fall down a lot. Hoshi was still glum. If they even let me go back to the fields, we can hope. Keep crying. He managed a mental smile for her. It worked last time. 
turn is nearly upon us and we don't even know its name, Geyser argued. He felt more confident to do so since Usa would soon be head councilman. The winged presidently in that position knew that too and allowed more latitude to the military in the Shirkatisan issues, so he might do as well with the alien. The head councilman held up a hand to forestall Berha's objections. What would you have in mind? Let us loosen its tongue, Geyser responded. Do some tests on its endurance to pressure. How easily its bones break, only without sedating him first. He might die from the stress, Berhab blurted out. And then what answers would you have? Besides, even if he does talk, you have no basis for understanding anything he says. Geyser fumed. We'd have better luck in that, I should think, he shot back, if he spoke more than just two words. Enough, the head councilman shouted. There will be no more yelling in this chamber. I'll have you both removed. Geyser dipped his head. Yes, sir. My apologies, Berha offered. Good. I think the colonel has a good point. Dr. Kenno has ceased even submitting reports for lack of anything new to add. He does not have enough to go on. The alien needs to talk. Geyser bobbed his head with satisfaction. However, the head councilman on, we can't allow you to torture the alien to death. He's the only one we have thanks to a spy who infiltrated your ranks, Colonel. We have drugs that can make one more willing to answer questions. Perhaps we should try those. We have no way of knowing they'd have the desired effect on the alien, Berha pointed out. So it's a valid area of research that can serve both our needs. He turned to address the other members of the council. Do you concur? Usa and the raptor rep representatives stood and bowed. We do. The wingants and the monitors followed with the same. Then it is decided, the head councilman stated. You have your orders. Make him talk. You should be excited, Kenu told him. You'll finally get him to talk. Or kill him with the first dose. Beiju realized he was perhaps becoming a bit too transparent with his friend. He needed to keep his reason scientific. Kare shook his head and popped in another rodent. You guys won't let that happen, he said after he had swallowed. Besides, isn't it strange he hasn't said much yet? I mean, if you were trapped by an alien civilization for nine, nine months, could you keep silent for that long? Beiju bobbed his head, wondering which side of this Kare was really on. Exactly, he said. He either has a reason or he can't speak. But he said water, and he said the female's name. Beju had forgotten he told Kare about those. Kare didn't give him a chance to respond. You need to ask yourself if his reasons for not talking are for his good and match up with our good. Malcolm had realized something had changed for the worse when a very large, toothy orc walked in through the door, followed by Saruman, Smeagol, and a few other usual orcs. Hoshi? I'm here, Malcolm. What's wrong? There's a long-armed T-Rex in my room. The T-Rex had a determined look on his face, but then, with that reptilian face, he wouldn't have a very flexible face. He might always look like that. He tried to remember when he'd first seen ones like him there in the desert, but it was so long ago. He turned on the visual display console, control on his mental console and cranked up audio too so, so Hoshi could hear. Malcolm sat up as the group came closer to his bed. He sucked in a quick breath with the pain that shot through his groin. It had gotten better in the weeks, had it been weeks yet, since the surgery, but he was still quite tender. Saruman spoke to Smeagol, who hesitated before stepping to Malcolm's side. 
Shrezada, he barely whispered before he pulled out a syringe from his pocket. Malcolm tried to move away, but he really had nowhere to go. Whatever they were going to do was going to happen. There were five of them between him and the door, and billions beyond the door. He said he is sorry, Hoshi told him as the needle sunk into his neck. Smeagol eased him back on the bed as the drug took effect and his body became sluggish and heavy. Malcolm didn't resist. He felt dizzy and scared. They were going to cut him open again. Did you eat today? Hoshi asked. What? He couldn't think clearly as to why that would be important. Yes? Smeagol looked back to Saruman again, but Saruman just nodded. Smeagol turned back to him. Beiju, he said, slowly and distinctly, as he touched his own chest. He pointed to Saruman. Bishte, then to the T-Rex. Jena, then to the other orcs. Gibbon, Kenu. Finally, he touched Malcolm's chest and waited. Malcolm knew what they wanted. My name? How do you feel? she asked. Dizzy, heavy, like I'm swimming. I don't like swimming, Hoshi. His heart pounded hard under his ribcage. Frodo, call me Frodo, Sam. They've drugged you. You just might slip. Some kind of truth drug? Maybe. Kinu and Gibbon are new guys. I feel like I've seen Jenna before. Gibbon has been around since At Radagast left. Malcolm told her, I think Jenna is from the desert. Okay, good. So he's one of the army guys. But what about Kenu? Why is he in the room? Smeagol tried again. Beiju. He touched Malcolm's chest. Malcolm turned his head away. It was worse now. The wall was only a foot or so away, but it was fuzzy and moving. His chest hurt from the pounding and he was getting cold on the inside. Or that's how it felt. Something's wrong, Beiju said, beckoning Dr. Bishte over. He checked the alien's pulse, and it was fast, very fast. The alien was turning gray, and his eyes had rolled back into his head. Bishte nodded, and together they pushed the bed back toward the bypass machine. Gibbon had left at once and now returned with previously harvested blood so they could flush his drug-saturated blood from his system. This should not have been rushed, he said over his shoulder to Jenna. Will it die? The major calmly asked. Possibly, Bishte shot back. We should have started with a small dose and stepped it up until it was effective. We have no basis for knowledge of his tolerance. And as if to prove his point, the alien began seizing there on the bed. Beju covered the alien's torso with his feet and to try and keep him still enough for Dr. Bishte to insert the tubes. Dr. Gibbon tried to hold his head still, and Kinu even stepped up to hold down the alien's flailing legs. Beju could feel the alien's heart beat wildly in his chest. Dr. Bishte was right. He could have an infarction with this if this went on. But as the machine took over pumping in the harvested blood and pumping out and filtering the drugged blood, the seizures turned to tremors and the alien's heart rate normalized its rhythm even as it retained much of its speed. He's at 45%, Dr. Gibbon stated. Beju stood back up and noticed that the alien's eyes were still open but glassy. Is it stable? Jenna asked, again in his calm, unconcerned tone. His heart rate is still too fast. He has only one heart, Bishte argued. We can't go ruining it. Jenna simply raised a hand as if to say, carry on, and stayed standing in the same spot. Beju realized they weren't going to call this off. They were only lowering the amount of drug cocktail in the alien system.
Hoshi almost got sick herself until Malcolm's vision in her mind blanked out. She tried to act like she had was paying attention to the hay she and the other females were laying over the now harvested fields. The air was much crisper, and they hadn't yet given her any more so, so anything more substantial to wear. She had begun to ho hope exposure could lead to miscarriage, but at the moment she was very worried about Malcolm. They had drugged him, that was obvious, but how could they regulate his reaction to the drugs? How could they even anticipate what those particular chemicals would do to his system? He could be dying. But suddenly the visual field returned. It was gone, and then, as if she'd blinked to clear her vision, it was just back. It was fuzzy, but more steady. She heard voices, too, just not Malcolm's. Was he even thinking? The T-Rex, Jenna, was closer now, looming in front of Malcolm's face. My name, he said, slowly drawing out each word, is Jenna. Your name is... He left a pause. My name, Malcolm slurred, and Hoshi nearly gasped. Had he spoken? Wait, it was in English, and Jenna didn't react. It was only a thought. Sam, Hoshi told him urgently. Your name is Sam. He wants to know my name. Malcolm told her as if he hadn't heard. He almost sounded drunk, but sad drunk in a way. Your name is Sam. She didn't figure he was up for much in the way of reasoning. He might talk or he might not, but she hoped that by keeping the simple sentence in front of him, he'd say what she told him to say if he did talk. Just Sam. Samwise Gamgee, he corrected. And by the way, Jenna pulled back and the others murmured he hadn't just thought it. He'd said it out loud. Oh my, that was over quick. <laughs> I might even do chapter 22 tonight. Wow, uh, that was very quick. Must be one of my shortest chapters. Uh, okay, so very quick summary. So Hoshi had two blastuses, two fetuses growing in her uterus. But one of them, she had a miscarriage, only one of them died. One of them left, so there's one left in her uterus. And they see that, and they don't know whether it's good or not, because they have nothing to base it on. So they look at the archive of the other one from the camera they had left in her, and they see that it's definitely malformed, and it didn't, you know, form right, so maybe that's why it died. Um, they think, they, they don't really know, and the camera couldn't see into heart and brain and things like that. Unfortunately, the fetus is lost in the mud, probably out there on the fields. So there's nothing they can do to, you know, like, try and take it apart and look at it. Okay, second scene. It's actually from Malcolm's point of view. It kind of feels like it's from hers at first, but it's not. It's yeah, that, you know, Hoshi had listened and heard enough, but that one had survived, so she was still pregnant, and she found it hard to stay in her state of denial. But that's Malcolm thinking about her. She finally shared her fears, so now we know that it's Malcolm. Malcolm understood them. Okay, so he realizes it could be a normal fetus because they had collected his semen. It could be something awful, like a hybrid, like they collect used their semen, it, it, you know, they don't really know. And Hoshi points out, even if it's a normal baby, she didn't get to choose it. And what kind of life would it have there? None of them have any real life on this planet. 
and so she doesn't know any particular good way to miscarry on purpose. Um, she can't exactly ask for an abortion. You know, they wouldn't give it to her. They're trying to do this too, right? Okay, in the next scene, Geyser and Burha are in front of the council, and Geyser is feeling a bit more confident that he can win some arguments because it's closer to turn, and the Grand Raptor Usa is going to be the next head councilman, so he's getting it a little more leeway from the winged head councilman as it is. And Geyser wants to make the alien talk. Burha argues that they could kill him, especially if they tortured him, and that, you know, they only have one. And the head councilman says that Geyser has a point, but he's not up for torturing them, especially as we only have one because of this spy that infiltrated Geyser's ranks. So Geyser had to fight that one back, but he did say they could test his tolerance to like truth drugs and see if they could get him to talk that way. And so back at breakfast, Kare is telling Beju he should be excited, but Kare is afraid that he's going to die and he doesn't want this for the alien, but he has to guard what he says even to his friend. And he points out that you know, Kare points out, isn't it strange that he's been there all these months and he hasn't said a word? Could you do that if you were um, captured? And he's like, exactly, he either has a reason or he can't speak, but he forgot, Beju forgot that he told Kare of the two words he did speak that prove he can speak, so that one's out, but he has reason. Um, and then Kare says, you need to ask yourself if his reasons aren't for not talking are for his good and match up with our good. And we leave the scene there. And that's when Malcolm realizes something bad is going to happen because one of the toothy orcs, the raptors, has walked into his room. A long-armed T-Rex, as he puts it. And note, it doesn't have to be a super long arm to be a long-armed T-Rex. T-Rex have the tiny little ones. These have more regular arms. They're disproportionately short for their size, but that doesn't mean they're short, okay? That is important to know. And then they, Bishte gives orders to Smeagol. Smeagol approaches Malcolm and he whispers something very quietly to Malcolm. He says, Sheresida. Sheresida is, I'm sorry, or it's an apology. And he, so only Malcolm could hear that. And he gives him the, the shot. Now the shot at first starts to make him loopy, and, but he's able to, you know, tell Frodo that something's happened. Uh, Frodo, which is Hoshi, has realized that he's been drugged and Malcolm, you know, feels like it's really bad when he's looking at the wall that's only a foot or so away and it's fuzzy and moving and his chest is hurting because it's just pounding, pounding, pounding. His heart is pounding. And in fact, when we move to the next uh, scene, we realized something's going really wrong. He's having a seizure there on the bed. And so they have to get out the bypass machine, bring in harvested blood and basically drain out some of his blood, put in the good blood. That way it lowers the percentage of the drug in the system. They get down to 45%. And we don't know for sure that they stop there. We just say that. And Jenna asks if he's stable. It is stable. He doesn't say he. It, it is stable. And Bishte points out his heart rate is still too fast. He's only got one heart and they can't go ruining it. But Jenna says carry on. And then... Hoshi realizes they're not, and Beiju realizes they're not going to quit. And, but that suddenly the vision that had blanked out, you know, from Malcolm's point of view comes back 
and it's blurry, but it's still. So he's in a slightly better state, but he's still loopy. And he, for a while, is just keeping inside his head um, when he realizes that Jenna is asking for his name. He says, my name, but he's actually just in, you know, thinking that because Jenna doesn't react. And then she point, you know, she's saying, Sam, your name is Sam. She's trying to influence him under that drug. And uh, Malcolm says to her, he wants to know my name. And he sounds kind of drunk or sad drunk as he's saying it. And then she keeps it up. Your name is Sam. Your name is Sam. Just Sam. But he says, Samwise Gamgee. And that one he said out loud. And that's where we ended. It's short, but that was definitely the right place to end it. Um, when I like to make my chapters to be somewhat alike. So if I have got 6,000 words on average, I want to go try to reach 6,000. But I don't necessarily do it by numbers. I mean, there was a chapter in this that was only 3,200 and something. And this one is really, really short. So I'll bet it's coming down even lower than that. And it's, but it's the right place. Do you feel that weight at the end? It says, Samwise Gamgee, he corrected. And by the way, Jenna pulled back and the others murmured. He hadn't just thought it. He had said it out loud. Boom. This changes everything. So that was the right place to end it even though it made for a short chapter. It was a momentous chapter, especially there at the end. And it needed to stop right there. It has a gravity to it. It has an oh my goshness to it. And that is a great place to end a chapter. So you know where the next chapter is going to start, just on the other side of that. It's not quite a cliffhanger, but it's close. And it's, you know, this is the poignancy you want to end on. I always have a feel for when I am ready to end a chapter. And it always seems to me the right place to end it. You're looking for that kind of poignancy, whether sometimes they're softer, sometimes they're big and they're cliffhangers. But you want that poignancy at the end. Okay? Don't have much else to really say about this uh, this time around. Um, so this episode is going to be quite short. I'm feeling like putting another episode out here tonight to get chapter 22 in. I'm getting so excited to read the end of this story. The, the you know, the last third really picks up. And it's, I was, <laughs> last night I read four or five chapters of it to read ahead I read this one, and then I read the next one, and I was like, yeah, okay, I'll read the next one, and the next one, and the next one. I almost read to the end of the story. Uh, only the time saying I had to get ready for bed to get up to work in the morning made me stop. Um, that is a mark of a good story where I didn't even want to put it down, and I wrote it. <laughs> So I hope you're enjoying it, and I hope you'll appreciate that I'm going to read you another chapter tonight. Wow. How's that? <laughs> um, yeah. 
because this is so short, but I do like how it's coming along with the whole telepathic thing in the console. Um, she's a he's able to show her what he sees pretty good now. And he can definitely open the audio to that works really good so she can hear what's going on in the room. So she was able to see through his eyes Jenna talking to him. And when he said Samurai's Gamgee, he reacted and that's how she knew he spoke out loud. So good thing they made a plan, huh? All right. Well, tell me what you think if you want to. Uh, my name is Inhildy. So at Inhildy for Twitter and Inhildy at gmail.com. I-N-H-E-I-L-D-I. It's not really my name as I, it's the way I said that. It is the name of my AO3 profile. But it is not my name. It is my name for, for email, but it's, it's not my name. Uh, my pen names are still Gabrielle Lawson, Philippe Delama, Troc, and Nina Coriel. I didn't add a fourth. But when AO3 came out, it was easier to put out, you know, because I have a centralizing profile that contains all three pen names, it was easier to put in Heidi there um, as something unique. But also, um, it also allowed me a place to post Valerie's story that I have a sequel to, so I could post my sequel. And it says, The Exile by Valerie Shearer. And it's posted when I have to choose the author under AO3. I chose Inhildi because Inhildi didn't write anything. Um, but the title does include the actual author's name. And I've talked to her, and she was okay with me doing that, so... Um, it's not a problem. Okay, so let's get on to the next episode so I can read you the next chapter. All right, bye now.